To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Our Gentile believers, Israel. Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. If you're a Christian or Gentile believer in Yeshua, you are by faith a son of God. You are a son of Abraham, a seed of Abraham, and heirs according to the promise. You've been grafted into the olive tree, becoming an equal sharer of the richness of the root. And while all this and more makes you one with your Jewish brothers and sisters in Messiah, does it make you Israel? For 2,000 years, Israel is a name that Christians have claimed, seeing in themselves a spiritual fulfillment of something that God originally began with a physical people. And now more recently, among Messianic believers who've rediscovered the Jewishness of Jesus and the importance of the Torah of Moses, identifying as Israel has taken on even more meaning. But what if the idea of Gentile believers being part of Israel isn't as biblical as you might think? More than that, what if it isn't even necessary for fulfilling God's promises, securing salvation, or having an equal place in the family of God? What if there's something that Gentile believers are really a part of that's far more important than their being Israel? Today, I want to look at the scriptures to see if we can answer the question of whether Christians or Messianic Gentiles, for lack of a better term, should see themselves as part of Israel. Do you expand or enlarge Israel in such a way that you are now actually Israel yourselves? And if you aren't, then how does that affect your identity in Messiah? My goal with this teaching is to try to bring clarity to the way Gentile believers are to biblically see themselves in relation to Israel and the Jewish people, but also to encourage my Gentile brothers and sisters in who God perfectly remade you in Yeshua to be. And for my purposes today, Understand that I'm not coming at this primarily in order to deal with supersessionism or replacement theology, but more from the perspective of answering Messianic Gentile believers, not non-Messianic Christians. But of course, everything I'm about to show you still applies equally across the board. And despite what you may have heard, the word Gentile simply means someone who isn't Jewish or physically descended from Israel. Its default usage in Scripture doesn't imply pagan or anything negative. It's usually just a generalized term that refers to ethnicity or nationality other than Jewish. Okay? So, with those caveats out of the way, let's get to it. Now, let's first answer the question of whether there's any biblical record of Gentiles actually expanding the people of Israel. And indeed, there is. In Exodus 12, for example, we see Israel finally being let go from Egypt, and verse 38 says that a mixed multitude also went up with them. Now, we don't know exactly who this mixed multitude was, 
Presumably, they were mostly Egyptians. And we also don't know what ultimately happened to them or how integrated into Israel they became. All we know is that, at least for a time, they lived among Israel in the desert. We also know that among those who left Egypt with Israel was Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. So Caleb was a Gentile. Yet he represented the tribe of Judah when they spied out the land and was eventually given an inheritance in the land of Judah. This makes Caleb one of the first examples of what the Torah calls a sojourner, or in Hebrew, ger. So a sojourner is a Gentile who desires to attach himself to and physically live among the people of Israel. In Ezekiel 47, for example, we see the sojourner intermarrying with Israelites and having children among them, such that their children are themselves literally children of Israel. And when it comes to the level of commitment that's required of the sojourner, we see a very vivid example of this in Exodus 12:48 and 49. Speaking about who can join in the Passover, Moses says, And when a sojourner sojourns with you, and has made a Pesach to Adonai, a Passover to Adonai, every male of his is to be circumcised, and then he will come near to make the Passover, and he will have been as a native of the land. But any uncircumcised one may not eat of it. One Torah will be to the native and to the sojourner who is sojourning in your midst. So Gentiles basically had three degrees of relationship with the people of Israel, the foreigner, the temporary resident, and the sojourner. And while the first generation sojourner is still distinguishable from a native Israelite, he nevertheless expands the people of Israel by physically joining with them, unlike the foreigner and temporary resident. And he does this first through intentional circumcision, and then by living within Israel, intermarrying with them, having children among them, and abiding by the same Torah, such that in nearly every way, he's considered and treated as a native-born Israelite. Probably the most vivid example of a sojourner's commitment to attach oneself to and literally live with the people of Israel is found in Ruth. In chapter 1, Ruth's Jewish husband has died, and now she's pleading with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to not leave her in the land of Moab. So in a most moving declaration, in verses 16 and 17, Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth's attachment to Israel, and this is key, isn't primarily spiritual. She's not desiring to sojourn with Naomi because she loves God. She wants to stay with Naomi because she loves Naomi. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And then she says, your people will be my people. And she proclaims this before she says, and your God, my God. Ruth's commitment to the God of Israel, 
comes through her commitment first to the people of Israel. That's how the motivation of the sojourner is packaged. It's a physical sojourning with the people of Israel, which includes a commitment to Israel's God. It's not a spiritual sojourning from afar, but a literal joining of the nation of Israel through a specific person, family, or tribe. So in the scriptures, this is how Gentiles expanded Israel, through a physical sojourning, a literal joining, where Gentiles lived with, married with, had children with, kept Torah with, and attached themselves not just to a faith, but first and foremost to a people. So since this was the way it was understood how Gentiles fit within the context of Israel, then this may, at least in part, account for how the brand new Yeshua-believing Jewish community of the first century was a bit confused about how to incorporate the Gentiles who were turning to God. In Acts chapter 15, for example, we see some of the new Jewish believers, some of them believing Pharisees, teaching and arguing that in order to be saved, Gentiles needed to be circumcised and to keep the Torah. This was basically an argument that salvation was contingent upon Gentiles joining the house of Israel, becoming sojourners or proselytes. So early on, this was a major question that the Messianic Jewish leadership needed to settle. But it would be in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that this question of whether the Gentile believer is part of Israel gets its best answer. As we see in several of Paul's letters, like Romans, Galatians, and Colossians, he's having to deal with Jew-Gentile relations to address the tensions and issues that existed between them. And here in chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul turns to speak directly to the Gentile believers in his mixed Jewish and Gentile audience to explain how they and their fellow Jewish believers are united and made one in Messiah. So let's take some time to walk through this passage in order to hear what the apostle to the Gentiles has to say. Beginning in verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you, the goyim in the flesh, the Gentiles, that you were at that time apart from Messiah, having been alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul says to the Gentile believers that before they believed and had faith in Yeshua, at that time, they were apart from Messiah, strangers to the covenants of promise, and alienated from the citizenship of Israel. In other words, they had no relationship whatsoever with Yeshua, Israel's covenants, and were kept at arm's length from Israel's people and community. There was no access to the promises because those covenants are made exclusively with the people of Israel. And because of this, they were therefore without God and had no hope in the world. So it's all bad news for Gentiles before they're in Messiah. Then continuing in verse 13, Paul explains how things dramatically change once the Gentile believes. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you being at one time far off became near in the blood of the Messiah. For he is our peace, the peace of both Jewish and Gentile believers who made the both one and broke down the middle wall of the enclosure so that in him, 
he might create the two into one new man, making peace and might reconcile both in one body to God through the execution stake, having killed the hostility by it. So because of Yeshua's sacrifice, the Gentile believer is no longer far off, no longer apart and alienated from Yeshua and the people and promises of Israel, but becomes near. Why? Because the blood of Messiah has bought us peace and made us both, Jew and Gentile, one in him, specifically one new man. By breaking down the metaphorical wall that separates Jew and Gentile, this being imagery possibly taken from the temple, Paul says that Jew and Gentile in Messiah are reconciled both in one body so that Gentiles can now have access to God, his hope, his promises, and his people. In Yeshua, Gentiles spiritually become near to Israel because of their new relationship to Jewish believers, killing any hostility, bringing peace, granting access to God, and uniting us as one new man in one body. And here's where the confusion often starts to come in with regard to whether or not Gentile believers are Israel. Because some see this one new man that Paul's talking about as Israel. Since Gentiles are no longer alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and the wall separating Jews and Gentiles is now metaphorically and spiritually broken down, then this, some say, must mean that Gentile believers are now part of Israel. In fact, many will rightly point to Isaiah 56 as possible prophecy of what Paul's talking about here, where Isaiah says, beginning in verse 3, to let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. That for everyone who keeps the Sabbath and holds fast to God's covenant, that their sacrifices will be accepted. Because in that day, God's house, the temple, shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. But the problem in seeing this lack of separation as meaning that Gentiles are now Israel is that neither Isaiah nor Paul ever actually say that. Saying that Gentiles are Israel goes beyond the text and reads into it, making the scriptures mean more than what they really say. On the contrary, Isaiah literally still calls them foreigners, despite their newly unimpeded access as God's people. But even if Isaiah and Paul do mean more than what they say, we still can't read into it, making the inverse of no longer separate or no longer alienated to mean that we're now the same thing. We're now Israel too. That's imposing too much on the plain reading of the text, especially taking into account what Paul says next. Because look at what he does say. He says that the entity in which Jews and Gentiles are now united is one new man, not one that already exists and not one that's renewed, but new. That's what it says. In Messiah, something new and never before created has been made in which both Gentile believers and the believers of Israel, Messianic Jews, now inhabit one body. Not a physical body like sojourners in Israel, but a spiritual one. Yes, Gentile believers are brought near to the covenants and people of Israel, gaining access to both. 
But scripture never says that this then makes Gentiles Israel, spiritual or otherwise. Because why would making Gentiles part of Israel be the goal when there's something far better for you to be citizens of? And Paul tells us exactly what this is, continuing in verse 17, saying to both sides of his Jewish and Gentile audience, one of the most extraordinary things that's ever been spoken. And having come, Messiah proclaimed good news, peace to you, the far off, meaning the Gentiles, and peace to the near, meaning the Jews. For through him, we have access to the Father, we both in one spirit. Then therefore, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, sojourner in this instance, meaning someone without citizenship, but you are fellow citizens of Israel? No, of the Kadoshim, of the saints, of the holy ones, and of the household of God. This appears to be what's pictured in Isaiah 56, which Isaiah further describes, continuing in verse 8, saying that the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered, which in turn is essentially the same thing that the master himself says in John 10, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this courtyard. It is necessary for me to bring these also, and they will hear my voice and there will become one flock, one shepherd. Listen to this incredible message of unity. Others gathered besides those already gathered. Other sheep, not of this courtyard. One flock with one shepherd. Fellow citizens of the household of God. So Isaiah and Yeshua and Paul are all saying the same thing. That because of the good news, the Gentiles have become near such that they're no longer strangers, not becoming members of the house of Israel, but fellow citizens in the household of God, which was occupied at first solely by Jews. Paul's not talking here about Israel, but about something new that later came into being. That one flock, the one new man who shares one body, and that body is called God's household, of which all of Messiah's holy ones, both Jewish and Gentile believers together, are now fellow citizens. Now, I get how this can be confusing. With Paul talking about the citizenship of Israel in one place and no longer strangers, but fellow citizens in another. But the only way to make Ephesians 2 say that Gentile believers become citizens or part of Israel is to either stop at verse 12 and then reason your way to it, or to just ignore the second half of verse 19, or to say that the one new man isn't actually new, and that Israel and the household of God are the same thing. Only if you approach the passage from any of these wrong directions can you get the verses to appear to be saying that Gentiles are Israel. But when we follow Paul's complete train of thought, especially in light of other relevant passages, we instead see that his point was never to depict an expansion of Israel, but a joining of the remnant of Israel and the reconciled of the nations into something completely new. And that is the one flock, the one new man, the household of God.
In other words, from among the nations, God reconciles those who believe, and from within Israel, God preserves a remnant. And where the two unite and intersect through Yeshua, it creates a brand new thing, one new man, one flock, where members of both physical groups are now also spiritually fellow citizens in the household of God. It doesn't expand Israel by making Gentiles a part of Israel any more than it expands the nations by making Jews a part of the nations. But together, in one body, through one spirit, Jews and Gentiles share the same membership in the house of God. And Paul makes it clear just how unheard of such a thing this joining of Jews and Gentiles is, such that Gentiles who have no birthright whatsoever to anything of Israel's can now partake of them. In chapter 3, verses 3 and 6, he says, The mystery was made known to me, namely, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and of the same body and sharers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the good news. So the mystery is that Gentile believers are fellow heirs, they're of the same body as Jewish believers, they're sharers of the very same promises and the very same salvation, but they receive all this without becoming part of Israel. That's the mystery. Because of their unity in Messiah, through the spiritual connection to Israel that Gentiles now have with their Jewish brothers and sisters, because access to Jewish believers is access to Israel, they also inherit and share in the same access to Yeshua, the same access to the covenants of promise, and the same access to the Father. Because not only do Gentiles not become part of or replace Israel, you don't need to. Because through the good news in Yeshua, alongside the Messianic Jewish remnant of Israel, you are now equally tapped in to the very same root. And this is exactly the point that Paul had previously made in his letter to the Romans in his metaphor of the olive tree. Just as he does in Ephesians 2, when he turns and directly speaks to the Gentile members of his audience, he does the same thing in Romans chapter 11. Let's take a look at it. So here, Paul's addressing the state of unbelieving Israel, unsaved Jews, and the Gentile believers' arrogance toward them. And using the metaphor of an olive tree, Paul says, beginning in verse 13, But I speak to you, the Goyim, Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am indeed an emissary of Gentiles. If the root is holy, then the branches are too. And if certain ones of the branches were broken off, and you Gentiles, being of a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and became a fellow sharer of the root of the richness of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not carry the root, but the root carries you. Jumping down to verse 24. For you Gentiles were cut out from the olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. So in Paul's metaphor, we have several different parts. The cultivated olive tree, the root of the olive tree, the olive tree's existing branches, the broken off branches, 
and the branches of a wild olive tree. And focusing on the wild olive branches, which Paul indicates are the Gentile believers, he says that they were grafted in among the existing branches, which by implication are Jewish believers. They were grafted in, they became near to the cultivated olive tree, and became a fellow sharer of the root of the richness, just like what Paul describes in Ephesians 2 and 3. Now understand what Paul's picturing for us here. Grafting is a horticultural technique where a branch or shoot from one plant is attached to the stem or rootstock of another plant. And this is done for multiple reasons, but the result of it is that the grafted-in branch becomes nourished by the root. The fruit that the grafted-in branch then produces is able to take on new characteristics as supplied by the root, such as improved disease resistance or larger size or higher yield or better quality. And while a grafted-in branch can also have a reverse influence on the root, Paul makes clear the point that he's making with his metaphor, that you Gentiles do not carry the root, but the root carries you. The benefit flows from the root to the grafted-in branch, which now draws its life and sustenance from the cultivated tree. In other words, Gentiles are now connected to and supplied by the root of the richness, now fellow sharers in the holiness of the olive tree. The question then is, in Paul's metaphor, into what are the Gentiles grafted in? More to the point, are they grafted in to become part of Israel? And the problem is that Paul never says. The only other thing about the metaphor that we really know for sure is that the broken off branches are Jewish unbelievers who are really the main focus of this entire section of Romans. But what Paul leaves unanswered is what or who are the olive tree and its root. And while there have been several different viable solutions offered by believers and theologians over the past 2,000 years, the one thing that they all have in common is that they're all rooted in Israel. As Paul says of the Jewish unbelievers in the second half of verse 24, how much more will they who are according to nature, meaning Jews or Israel, be grafted into their own olive tree? So whatever the olive tree means to Paul, at the end of the day, it's definitely a Jewish tree with a Jewish root. And when we laser focus on this one aspect of the metaphor, and remember that's all this is, just a metaphor, so we have to be really careful not to read too much into it, it can appear to be inferring that Gentile believers are now part of Israel. But when we consider the entirety of the metaphor, as well as take into account what Paul taught about Gentiles in Ephesians, I think it's safe to say that whatever that Jewish root and olive tree are, all it's really indicating is that the nourishment of the root that Gentiles now rely upon is providing them direct access to Israel's citizenry, covenants, and Messiah. And that access comes through Israel. No longer far off, but through the blood of Messiah, Gentiles become near and are grafted in to the root of the richness that supplies a permanent, spiritual, covenantal connection to the people and promises of Israel. So with regard to Gentiles actually being Israel then, here's what we need to understand. Let's go back to the olive tree. While the fruit of a grafted-in branch will most certainly undergo a change, 
as a result of the grafting, what it doesn't do is change the branch or its fruit into a different species contrary to nature. If you graft a lemon branch onto an orange tree, the grafted in branch doesn't start producing oranges. And when you graft a wild olive branch onto a cultivated olive tree, the grafted in branch just produces better, hardier, wild olives, not the same kind of olives as the cultivated tree. So while the wild olive branch is grafted in and shares in the nourishment and supply of the tree and its root, it still remains a wild olive. In the same way, while Gentile believers are grafted into an Israeli tree with an Israeli or Hebrew or Jewish root and receives all the spiritual benefits of that grafting, those Gentiles still remain Gentiles, just as God made you. You don't become spiritual Jews or spiritual Israel or true Jews or true Israel, because not only is that not what the scripture says, but because you don't need to. Through Messiah, you have access to everything you need to be saved and close and connected to God. Gentiles becoming Israel was never the goal to getting Gentiles saved. The goal was, is, and always will be Messiah. Now, while it's my hope that laying out the scriptures this way would be sufficient to settle any question in your heart and mind, I can still hear some of you saying, what about not all who are Israel are Israel? Or what about the Israel of God and so forth? And those are definitely verses worth looking at, which is why I'll be doing just that in the very next episode to try to address any objections. So make sure you come back for that. But I think the final question that we need to ask today is, since the scriptures teach us that Gentile believers are obviously intimately connected with Israel, now through Yeshua, then what's the harm in Gentiles referring to themselves as Israel? Why does it matter? It matters because who you are in Messiah the truth of your identity in him matters. As a Gentile believer in Yeshua, if you don't understand and embrace your true identity in him, just as I, as a Jewish believer, need to embrace my true identity, then you can't be who God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. And I understand that that's a huge motivation for thinking you need to see yourself as Israel. But if you don't continue to identify as a Gentile in Messiah, then one of the most important things that God uniquely needs you to do will never get done. And that is to provoke Israel to jealousy, as Paul says in Romans 11. I mean, think about it. The whole context of Paul's olive tree, where he's directly addressing Gentiles, is built around his exhortation to you to make Israel jealous. He even quotes Moses in verse 19, saying to Israel, I will provoke you to jealousy by that which is not a people. By an uncomprehending Gentile, I will anger you. It's the very fact that you're not Israel that makes you God's designated vessel to see this vital task toward world salvation done. But even that's not the most important point. Because the long and the short of all this, where it comes to identity in Messiah, is that not only does being Israel not get anybody saved, including Jews, 
it's unnecessary in order to get close to God. It's just simply not a reason for Gentiles to need to be Israel. On the contrary, if everyone's Israel, then no one's Israel. A name applied to everything means nothing. Israel becomes meaningless and it robs actual Israel, the literal descendants of Jacob, of who they are by diluting and erasing the meaning of their continued peoplehood and God's unique purposes for his specially treasured nation. Not to mention, if all believers are Israel, then who is the large crowd that no one is able to number in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, who out of all the world ethnicities and nations and peoples and languages are standing in the presence of the throne and in the presence of the Lamb, shouting with a loud voice saying, The salvation is to our God and to Him who is sitting upon the throne and to the Lamb. The house of Israel is small and limited, the least of all the peoples. But the household of God is huge and expansive and has room to accommodate those from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Being part of Israel, joining with the people of Israel as a sojourner, is something very specific. It's physical and temporal, and according to Scripture, doesn't have a solely spiritual fulfillment out among the nations. But Gentiles being joined with Jews in the household of God is spiritual and eternal. It's the true fulfillment of his plan, one which he's had in motion since the beginning for the restoration and reconciliation of the world. Gentile believers in Messiah don't expand or enlarge Israel. You are fellow citizens with believing Israel brought near to expand and enlarge the household of God. This is the mystery of the Messiah. That without becoming part of or identifying yourself as Israel, you still receive the salvation and support that Israel supplies. You are part of the one new man, united with your Jewish brothers and sisters in Yeshua, fellow heirs, of the same body and sharers of the promise of God. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, share, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.